You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 69. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. Today we're discussing the 10th Doctor episode, Tooth and Claw. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Cory Stika. Hi, Father Cory. How's it going? So uh, today we're talking about uh, Tooth and Claw, which is a uh, David Tennant story. Um, it originally aired in uh, April 2006. It's the um, the third episode of his first season, um, but the second in a uh, in a row after Christmas. So there was the Christmas episode, and then a, a gap of several months, and that's and then they started the regular season uh, in April of two thousand six, um, and uh, so. Basically, the, the 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 plot is it's a werewolf story, no, but not in mm. London. Werewolves of Scotland. Uh, so. not, not catchy. Not as catchy as tune. I mean, <laughs> exactly. The bagpipes, you know, kind of give the melody a different feel. They do. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> you so know, a basic recap. The Doctor and Rose land in the 1870s by accident. They encounter Queen Victoria and end up trying to protect her from an assassination plot involving. Um, Ninja monks and a werewolf. <laughs> That's pretty much it, right? <laughs> yeah. What the so the plot? This one, this one isn't overly detailed in terms of the plot, but um, there's a lot it of good has detail. Interesting, huh? I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, you're saying there's a lot of good detail. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, there's a, a lot of individual things are are neat. Um, I liked at the beginning of the episode when we have the Doctor and Rose on the TARDIS. You know, they're uh, they're kind of playing around with the TARDIS console and they there's one moment where they just fall on the floor laughing mm-hmm. and it, and it, it gives you a sense of how much fun they're having together. And this would just never have happened with Christopher Eccleston's doctor. Right. No. I mean, he, he might have laughed or smiled or smirked or things like that, but he would never be rolling around on the floor laughing with Rose the way just- David Tennant's doctor can. Exactly. Just almost giddy. They were almost giddy for what they were doing. You know, the music right. cranked up, you know, the classic rock cranked up and, you know, just having a good time. Yeah. So so let's take a moment and we'll listen to the sound of the trailer on this and then uh, we'll get into the uh, into the details uh, of this uh, of this episode. The story goes back 300 years. Every full moon, the howling rings through the valley. Next morning, livestock is found ripped apart and devoured. <laughs> Might I introduce Her Majesty Queen Victoria? This is a man who becomes an animal. A werewolf. But it can't be an actual wolf. Bullets can't stop it! They'll buy you time to run! May God forgive me. It's too bad we couldn't record this at Halloween. That would have been perfect. But uh, oh, that would have been. We didn't. Th- we weren't thinking. Apparently, <laughs> yes. Easter. We're, oh well. Yeah, we're recording this <laughs> at Easter time. So, um, 
Uh, one of the things I loved about this uh, that the, the trailer kind of gave you a flavor of is that Tenet gets to use his full Scottish accent. Uh, yeah, he uses his native accent in this. <laughs> but the only time he gets to do it. Yeah, and gets caught slipping, yep. but slipping out of it, which is fun. Which it's just and kind of funny. Rose's uh, imitation of a Scottish accent was hilarious. Oh yes, well she <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and he's just like no, no, no. According according to the 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 Tardis Wikia, it, the, the initial intention was that they were going to both put on Scottish accents, and Rose's was so bad that it led to that scene. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So they they fil- does it looks like they filmed on the moors. They filmed on location in Scotland. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's what it looks like to me. Um, in, my, in never having been, but uh, that was kind of the the indication to me that it was filmed on location. That uh, also that this was written sort of very quickly, but mm-hmm. that it carries um, uh, a lot of the you know important seeds of the mythology of Torchwood and other thing right. elements that come up later. Um, yeah, they they had already been dropping hints about Torchwood, but now we get to see "quote unquote" the Torchwood Estate, and right. it gets talked about on screen. And apparently, now we know it's been around since Queen Victoria's day. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, one thing I want to talk about is the op- that opening fight sequence when the monks show up at the Torchwood Estate. <laughs> what? Yeah. What so was that? that? Was- that was back when Matrix references were cool. Well, yeah, it's I mean, all this wire work and slow motion, and it looks like something out of the old TV show Kung Fu, as opposed to, you know, br- British or crouching, monks. crouching tiger, hidden dragon. That's what I was trying to think of the name, but yeah, it was kind of along that lines. Yeah, and it was like it was done very much in the Hong Kong style, the that, the Hong Kong martial arts movie style, and it doesn't fit with the whole rest of the show. It it, it right. just was very odd. I mean, that's I mean. Does it strike you as odd? Like just, I, that, well, that, seemed, that seemed like Russell T. Davies just wanting to have a bit of fun at the start of the episode. I mean, that's really yeah. what it looked like. They had so, they had to get some way for these, you know, warrior monks to take over the estate. And what better way to do that than a martial arts scene, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> In their flaming orange pajamas. Yeah. yeah. It was very, very strange. I mean, even like the, 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 those orange jump, you know, pajamas look like a Buddhist monk outfit mm-hmm. as opposed to. Uh, I, I think that well, was kind of the idea. Yeah. I think that was the idea. And so like, what's the deal with these monks? I mean, ostensibly when they first show up, they're Christian monks. And then mm-hmm. suddenly they transform into um, violent uh, martial art warrior monks, and they're and they're bent on no good. And then it turns out they're wolf worshippers, and they're like saying things like "Lupus Deus Est" in Latin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which for people who don't speak Latin means, I mean, you can translate it different ways, but uh, one of the Basically. obvious ways to translate it would be "the wolf is God." Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, or God is a wolf. Uh, yeah, you can you can translate. Yeah, either, either way. way. Yeah. So yeah, it was. Except I, we, given given the uh, even though the word order is flexible, the first word tends to be the one stressed. So mm-hmm. the wolf is God would right. be the more yeah and, and fits with the with the the TV show with the the, the story. Yeah. yeah. So what's so here? So this is something we periodically hit in Doctor Who, where they're drawing on Christian imagery, but then they're remixing it in ways that don't portray it positively, but it's not quite clear to me that this is an anti-Christian statement either. And so 
it, it, it seems to me, because if he wanted to make Christians look bad, well, it, they wouldn't turn out to be Asian warrior monks who were who were meant to be impressed by well, their fighting and there, skills. And, there were, and they wouldn't turn out to be wolf worshippers because well, Christians there, obviously aren't wolf worshippers. There are also positive Christian themes. You know, there's one point where Queen Victoria is holding a crucifix. Yeah. You know, like she had around her neck, you know. I mean, immediately as a pendant, but still that's, you know, a more positive mm-hmm scene of Christianity. Yeah. So I, I guess, I guess kind of after having seen these types of scenes a number of times in Russell T Davies and Dr. Who recent Dr. Who more broadly, um, I think that it's just kind of Christianity is taken as part of the cultural soil mm-hmm. in Europe and they're tilling up and remixing stuff elements from that soil, but they're not generally making a statement of any kind. You know, but that's that's no different than a lot of productions here in the United States where they'll you know they'll go into a church and of course it's something like St. John Cantius in Chicago, which is this absolutely magnificent, elaborate church, you know. It just right. it's, it's we want we want to show we're in a church. So we're going to find the most beautiful one we can. And there'll be chant and uh, incense Smoke and, and candles. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where we're at a Baptist yeah. ceremony. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's so it, it's more ignorance uh, of the details than it is animus toward toward the religion. You know, I, I, I think that's that's how it comes across to me. It's just like you say, painting with the Christian brush, you know, just exactly. w- dipping into the. You know, whatever, whatever the outward appearances are in that, um, especially because when they travel through time, Christianity has to pop up a lot more. They travel into a European past. Yeah, because that's what they got the costumes for. Right. <laughs> so uh, the doctor and Rose are headed toward they're supposed to be going to some uh, concert in uh, was it 1979 or something like and that? They, yeah. And they hit 1879. And uh, encounter Queen Victoria, um, mm-hmm. which is it's a very interesting encounter. It, it kind of struck me that uh, I I don't think the Queen would be traveling with with such a small entourage. It just seems odd to me that the that the Queen would be traveling. Uh, they they I, I kind think, of sort of explain it by saying that it was yeah. a, an emergency detour. Yeah, she's she's circumventing around an assassin around a known assassination plot, and so this is like on right. the, she's traveling on the down low. So it looks like it might be some noble that's going through, not the queen herself. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like the 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 monarch over the the entire empire that the sun of which the sun never sets. Rather than going low key, would go a uh, full regiment <laughs> surrounding her. <laughs> That's just By the me. way, on that sun never sets on the empire. So it's like, what's so impressive about that? You have one colony on the other side of the planet, and you're guaranteed the sun will never set on your empire. <laughs> I think it, what it means is uh, uh, literally not that there's always light on it, but that mm-hmm. even as the sun is setting in one place, it, it, there is a another place on which the sun is rising on it. It's uh, the, the sense. The sense of Rome being eternal type of thing. Well, I but know it's, that's what it's they more mean. Than it's I know every that's time what they zone. mean. But but the literalness. I mean, my literal instincts want to say, look, you've got Great Britain and Hong Kong, and that's all you need. Well, except <laughs> at some parts of the year, the 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 day is not exactly twelve hours long. It's in fact yeah. very rare that the day. So 
You will have periods of darkness in both know, of those places. We don't know anything about time. that living in northern climes, do we there, Don? No, not at Where all. Where it's dark by 4.30 in the <laughs> afternoon in the middle of winter? Exactly. Okay, Anyways, so, so, so maybe you maybe you need Great Britain and, uh, and Bombay and Hong Kong, but you sure. don't need an extensive worldwide empire to get the sun never sets effect. Yeah, I, I suppose that's true. You, you got to remember that this was during the time, though, when, you know, bombastic advertising was at its zenith, where you had to, you know, you had to make the words to make it sound like it's the most wonderful thing in the absolute world. <laughs> yeah. So um, speaking of the queen, I, I love the queen mm-hmm. in this one. She is oh, yeah. uh-huh. she's regal and remote. Uh-huh. She's vulnerable. She's interesting yeah. all at the same time. Um, and she's not one to be trifled with. I really enjoy that. Uh, even as Rose and the doctor have their little contest to try to get her to say, I'm not amused. You know, the, the queen is. We are not amused. Yes, we are not amused. Uh, the, the queen, you know, sort of takes things in stride. She's not easily shocked, but she's also, again, not one to be trifled with. Uh, and sort of puts Rose and, her, and the doctor in their place at a couple different points. Um, I like I like the way that. Um, they show her vulnerability, such as uh, her mourning for Prince Albert. That was a great moment in the dinner mm-hmm. that, that it was so well acted. So let me I have the line. I thought it was so good. She, yes, they're asking um, uh, the uh, Lord of the Torchwood, uh, Sir Robert McLeish, uh, asking for the ghost story about the werewolves. She says, um, and that's the charm of a ghost story, isn't it? Not the scares and chills, that's just for children, but the hope of some contact with the great beyond. We all want some Mm -hmm. message from that place. It's the creator's greatest mystery that we're allowed no such consolation. The dead stay silent and we we must wait. I thought, wow. I mean, we were talking about like uh, elements of Christianity in it. Mm -hmm. There's Mm -hmm. There's a bit of, of Christian understanding in that. Especially um, from a non-Catholic point of view, because we we believe that we do get some consolation through the saints and that sort of thing. Um, I was just gonna I was just gonna say we've got the actually this is something that is a little unusual for I mean there are elements of truth there and it is a very impressive and moving statement, um, but it, it's it's weird that a 19th century Protestant would be monarch would be saying this in England because. Um, so as you mentioned, Dom, for Catholics, we acknowledge the, you know, there is some contact from the dead. They're not completely silent. You know, God can let the saints appear to people and so forth. But, um, this is the 19th century and spiritualism was all the rage in upper class Mm -hmm. English society at this time. So it's a little uh, unhistorical in that sense. Can you explain a little bit of spiritualism? Yeah. So spiritualism is a movement that began in America and then quickly jumped the pond. It was started, or at least uh, some early influencers in it, were a couple of young American girls who would hold seances. And and they would do they they had a unique talent for getting the spirits to produce noises. They later revealed they were cracking their ankles. Um, And uh, but it caused this big revival of interest in mediums and seances and it went everywhere. And uh, lots of upper class uh, 19th century British people were into this. Mm-hmm. Um, including like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of the Sherlock Holmes stories. And it was quite the thing in upper class English society for uh, for a substantial period of time. So 
to have uh, Queen Victoria saying um, th- in this definitive way, even though it's very moving emotionally, to just say in this definitive way that the dead are silent is that doesn't really fit the times. Although, you know, we could say that, you know, it, not everyone necessarily would subscribe to every fad or trend. And Oh, obviously not. But yeah. um, she could herself be a total skeptic of spiritualism. Mm-hmm. But, um, but it just, if you know spiritualism is a huge thing out there, you'd probably be a little more cautious in how you phrased it. Perhaps the people you're talking to are spiritualists. On the other hand, you could be a monarch who's used to not having any of her opinions ever contradicted and just be a jerk. (laughs) Well, there is that too. There is that too. I mean, Uh, she does uh, come across as, you know, it's, it's, you know, this is my opinion. And if you don't like it, well, too bad. Yeah. Yeah. As the queen, I feel, I I don't think, I, I think the way, especially the way they portray her, she doesn't care you know, what you believe, you know, in that sense, like she's going to state her belief and not worry about your, your feelings getting hurt about it. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but I, I really love the way she, the, the actress kind of did that. It was, yeah. it could have been sappy. It could have been, but she just played it so understated and, you know, sort of she, her, she kind of dr- mind kind of drifts and then she kind of pulls herself together at mm-hmm. the end there. Um and 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 recollects herself and she's very impressive. I really like well, that. She, she definitely played uh, Queen Victoria as a sympathetic character. Definitely, yeah. as somebody somebody you would want to get to know. You know, I mean that that's impressive. I was looking, uh, doing a little kind of poking around, and uh, Pauline Collins, who played the Queen, she actually had been on Doctor Who before. Mm-hmm. Uh, she oh. was Samantha Briggs in the second Doctor episode, uh, Patrick Taunton episode, uh, the Faceless Ones. This oh. was like fourth fourth season, so it was must have been his. I guess it would have been his first full season. That's the one where Ben and Polly depart. That's the one set in an airport where yeah, aliens are are giving holiday tours to Europe to young people and yep. taking their bodies away and replacing them with faceless mm-hmm. ones. Fun. Yep they they landed <laughs> at Heathrow or Gatwick. They they landed on a runway at Gatwick. Yeah. And the whole thing is almost entirely set in an airport. Yep. Uh, speaking of, um, there seems to be this long trend of uh, Doctor Who actresses, uh, guests, and re- regular uh, companions playing mm-hmm. the queen or the various queens <laughs> at, at different points. Uh, we know that um, Jenna Coleman, who plays um, Clara later on, mm-hmm. uh, she, she, she actually is uh, Queen Victoria. In the um, the the Netflix, I think it's Netflix show. Oh, what was it? I get I get it mixed up with the Crown. I think there's mm-hmm. I think I think it might be just called Victoria. Uh, now now my I, I'm getting confused. Sorry. Uh, anyway, uh, she plays Queen Victoria in some show. Yep, and then uh, Olivia Coleman, who uh, has been in Doctor Who as a guest a- starring actress, but who also starred opposite David Tennant in uh, Broadchurch, done by. Uh, um, Chibnall, who's going to be running the show, Doctor Who soon. Mm-hmm. She's actually been cast as Queen Elizabeth in the the series The Crown, uh, which is uh, in their next season. So that's going to be interesting. Nice. Uh, and it and it is the name of the show is just Victoria. Okay, all right, yeah, that's what I thought. Um, and of course, uh, Matt Smith played Prince Philip in the first two seasons of The Crown. So it, it's it, it, I just have to you know kind of sometimes I step back and I think of how funny it is like the how small the British acting world is mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. you have all these people 
on all these different things. And it's just, there's so many lines of connection between them and you can spend all your time uh, making those connections. Oh, I know. It's well, it, it's stunning to me that you could have actors like Brian Blessed, who I know originally as the Emperor Augustus for my Claudius. <laughs> right. And then he's playing this totally goofy Doctor Who character, this warlord yeah. Irkanos in, in this awful Colin Baker serial. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, he shows up. He shows up a lot. I mean, he's he's one of those actors that very prolific and just, you know, he he chews up the scene as soon as he shows up. I mean, it doesn't matter what he's in. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Brian Blessed is great. Uh, always. It's always good to have him uh, in, in, a, in a in an episode. Um, so we, we also have mention of uh, the bad wolf theme that ran th- through the first season. Uh, I'm sorry, the ninth Doctor season. First Wait, you think a, a, a werewolf story has something to do with <laughs> bad wolves? What? Really? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so we have this empire of the wolf and then someone mentions bad wolf and that sets uh, Rose back on her heels a bit as she realizes. Um, and, and so yeah, the, something kind of like you've had experience with wolves before and she just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the basic plot is, is that the werewolf is actually this alien creature who crashed Earth and it was a single cell creature that's been trying to reproduce enough to become strong strong enough and what it does is it passes uh through a bite from one person to the next uh uh over and it's been doing so over hundreds of years and it's finally strong enough where it wants to now bite the the queen take over her and then the create this empire of the wolf and being in, in control of the you know take over the world which may be in some way a reference or riffing on the fact that the European royal families were inbred to the point that they had hemophilia mm-hmm. um, spread which, among them as a kind yeah. of biological, you know, uh, plague. Yeah, well, which comes up at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have, um, you know, Rose. That's, I love that. I love that last scene. I think that's just. It's just <laughs> yeah. a hilarious scene. Rose and the Doctor are making their way back to the TARDIS, um, a- having been exiled forever from the uh, the Queen's domain, uh, which is we, we could get get back to that in a second. Um, and that they talk about how the Queen contracted hemophilia, um, and pa- and her children had it, but yet there was no evidence in her parents or why she would have had it. And they're they're speculating that maybe she did get uh, bit by the wolf and. Um, and the hemophilia is just a euphemism for lycanthropy and, and speculates that today's Royal family, you know, Prince Charles and his children, uh, are also actually werewolves too. Which actually resonates with another thing that's actually contemporary in England. Um, there's a guy named David Icke, who is a former sportscaster or something like that in England. And he... Um, had, I guess, what you could charitably say are some mental issues. He thought he was the Messiah for a while, and then he um, then he, uh, he became known for his current most famous theory, which is that the the royal family and other politicians around the world are secretly giant reptilian aliens who are hiding the fact that they're reptiles from us, their subjects, and they also eat us. Right. And so um, so it's kind of interesting where you have this speculation that the royal family might secretly be werewolves when actually in England you you have um, 
actual speculation going on that people know about, I mean, serious people don't take it seriously, but that's out there in the British culture that the royal family are secretly giant reptilian carnivorous aliens. So this sort of this a riff on this sort of theory reaches its peak, in my opinion, uh, in the uh, Mike Myers movie. So I married an axe murderer. Where he plays several roles, including this old, this uh, older Scottish fellow who uh, subscribes to the theory that the uh, there's a uh, conspiracy between the Queen, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, and Colonel Sanders before he died. <laughs> oh, and the Vatican, and the Vatican to take over the world. And it was just a, and it's like and the the sons of Dad, the the Colonel. He's like, I he puts a an addictive substance in it to make you crave it fortnightly. It just goes on. <laughs> just, uh, That's one of those movies that it just can't be fun. I haven't seen it in years. Oh, yeah. I love I loved that movie when I first saw it. It's just one of those cult classics. Uh, if you haven't I, seen it, good, take, uh, take a gander. By the way, uh, speaking of Scottish things, um, there's a great moment that will go by if you blink early on in this episode where the doctor and Rose have, have first landed and um, and they're out on the moor and they're they encounter the queen's soldiers who demand to know who they are and why the young woman is unclothed and (laughs) which is a nice recurring theme. And I like the way actually that Rose, as soon as she realizes it's the queen is very apologetic about how underdressed she is. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but there's this moment where they, the soldiers want to know who the doctor is. And he says, I'm the doctor, but obviously that is not going to suffice in this context. And instead of saying he's, John Smith, mm-hmm. which is what he commonly does in that kind of circumstance where he has to produce a name. Since he knows he's in Scotland, he says, Dr. James McCrimmon. McCrimmon. And so that's a reference to Jamie McCrimmon, yep. the second doctor's long-running companion from oh. Scotland, who, li- who lived about 100 years before this episode and who had fought at the Battle of Culloden. And so mm-hmm. Jamie was like before Sarah Jane Smith, Jamie was the favorite companion of all time. <laughs> and so it's really neat to have a, ref, a, a reference to Jamie there. That's great. I, I, it sounded familiar and I, I, it did uh, miss me on that one. So I'm, I'm glad you pointed it out because that's great to uh, Jamie lives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the 1700s. It is interesting that uh, two of the four modern doctors so far are Scottish. Uh, one secretly, of course, you know, the, the actor is Scottish, mm. but they decided to make, you know, the Peter Capaldi, he is Scottish, uh, forthright oh, yes. and uh, 100%. percent Scottish. I can complain a lot as our, <laughs> as our trailer uh, used to. Yes. It's just, it says, uh, so it's, uh, I just, I, I, I love that connection that they've really kind of expanded. Um, I mean, the Scots are, they're fun people. They're funny people. I like them. Uh, yeah, well, and I it's married not the Scott. first. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, her maiden name is Scott, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. It's also not the first uh, secretly Scottish doctor we've had either, because it's Sylvester McCoy. Of course, of course. Well, that's right. He was Scottish-Irish. Mm-hmm. So, um, the doctor, we, you know, we eventually have the the reveal of the werewolf. Um, uh, I, I, every time I talk about the werewolf, I want to think of Young Frankenstein. Werewolf, 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 werewolf. Yeah, werewolf. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the uh, the doctor uh, encounters, and and it's very interesting how every time the doctor f- encounters something scary, horrible, uh, you know that's that that naturally makes us recoil. 
his first reaction is that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, and it's one of the things I love about the doctor is his, and it's one of the things you unique about the doctor is his attitude toward the mysteries and the, and the awesome splendor of the universe is joy and interest and curiosity. Um, and he's, he would rather run toward danger because it's something cool than to run away mm-hmm. from it. And actually, they pick up on that in uh, much later down the line in Peter Capaldi's time, because in the most recent season, Peter Capaldi comments to Bill about how he could see from her facial expressions when she encounters something that other people would run away from. She's into it. And that's why mm. he picked her as a companion. Right, right. And and in fact, that's sort of becomes a theme for companions, Amy and Clara and uh, Bill, uh, most recently, is that they 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 join him. They're like the doctor in that they run toward the, the interesting, the cool, the weird, the strange. Um, and, and then they try to literally become the doctor and get killed by a raven. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. And then become the doctor anyway. Um, yeah. So it was an interesting question that came up for me here, a little uh, point, and it's never really explained. So the the uh, Father Angelo, the who is who's pretending to be the butler, and, you know, confronts the queen uh, at at the at the key moment, and she pulls out a revolver, and she shoots him. And then, but later on, when she is with the doctor and Sir Robert and Rose, she says that uh, Reynolds, the 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 soldier, shot him. Why do you think she said that? It was never really explained in the story. And so I'm kind of curious why why she would have said that Reynolds shot him rather than herself. What is the, the character moment there? What do you think? That's... Yeah, I never really. Yeah, it's perplexing. Is it? I mean, I, the only thing I could think of was maybe she thought it was you know beneath the dignity of the queen to That's to get so violent. Was, yeah. That's where I was starting to kind of think of the idea of that the queen, um, dirtying her hands so to speak with something so vile as a, a weapon. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's of course you know then. She, as she says, when she's facing Father Angelo, you know, after so many uh, assassination attempts, I've learned how to take care of myself, basically. <laughs> right, right. You know, um, but yeah, I, I guess I just it, it really is kind of the, going back to that dignity of royalty would. Oh, the queen would never do that. That's why we have soldiers. Yeah. And maybe I, also I, make I, this make this guy look better, too. I don't know. You know, in in hindsight type of deal. Those are a couple of motives, a few additional possible motives. She's also a woman. And it could be viewed as unseemly for a woman to act in this way. She also, um, uh, it, they may mean us to understand, and this may play into the secret werewolf bite idea. They may mean us to understand that she has hidden reserves of violence that will that could be unleashed. But then also it could be the Columbo effect of I want people to underestimate me. Hmm. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, people underestimate Queen Victoria at their peril. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so they uh, they they they're running through the house as it becomes a we get into a big chase scene of this this uh, big house running up and down the stairs and through the halls uh, werewolf in tow and um, they encounter Reynolds. He assures them that uh, the queen you know the the queen has the contents of this secret box. We later find out contains this giant diamond that is the the Kohinoor. Yeah, the, that's a real diamond. It is, and uh, and it's also the MacGuffin for today's episode. Yep. Um, 
very important to item to here. Um, he Reynolds, you know, stays behind to f- face the werewolf while giving everyone time to get into the library and, and to lock the door. But, you know, they stand in the hall watching Reynolds get torn apart. <laughs> and then then they run into the library, close the door as well. Like Reynolds didn't have to die. <laughs> he could have walked with them like <laughs> 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 that just drove me nuts. I'm like, why did this guy have to die? He did. He, he you know, it's just it was not fair to Reynolds. He's a, he's a red shirt. He was literally, literally a red he was wearing shirt. a red coat. <laughs> <laughs> the original red shirts. Um, yeah, I just thought that was funny that like that this trope of you know you have the the man who stays behind to yeah. to sacrifice himself, but but it's well, obvious it's, from the from the way that it's laid out that there was no reason for him to do that. Yeah, it's 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 just so that our. Surviving characters can have the horrified reactions at seeing this happen. Of course, um, yeah. but it's it's kind of reminiscent of. Apparently, there's a scene in the Alfred Hitchcock movie The Birds where I think it's Ingrid. Is, is it Ingrid Bergman who's in that one? Um, anyway, there's this scene in The Birds where she is in like the attic of a house that has been infested by the birds, which are ordinary birds that are acting homicidal for no clear reason in the movie and that's part of why it's creepy so you have birds attacking humans and she's in this attic and the birds have gotten into the attic and she's standing on one side of the door and the birds are attacking her and she's just standing there screaming as they do it and Ingrid Bergman apparently had a problem saying, why don't I just go on the other side of the door? Why would I just stand there and let myself be attacked? Mm-hmm. And Alfred Hitchcock apparently uh, allegedly just said to her, Ingrid, fake it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so they get inside the library, um, which they're protected because mistletoe oil has been worked into the wood of the doors. And apparently um, uh, the, the the wolf has an aversion to mistletoe. They, yeah. they discovered this because the monks had been working up uh, mistletoe wreaths to wear on their neck to protect themselves. Yeah. Murphy's oil soap has the same effect. Oh, good, good. And, then, and plus, that's good for the that's wood. A more, that's, that's a little more available than mistletoe. So, and yeah. that means the werewolf stays out of the church because all that wood has been Murphy World, right? Just like the old TV commercials. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the uh, and, and and I thought it was interesting. They said it was. It's not that he was necessarily allergic to it, or that it was it did something to him, but that he had been trained over time, sort of like a dog, to. Uh, to, to smell it and to avoid it or something like Pat that. Pat loves werewolf. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and then they, they talk about that. It's a trap inside a trap. The, the, this house they're, they're trapped inside. Um, but that, but they realize that, uh, uh, Sir Robert's father and Prince Albert had designed it to be a trap for the wolf. So that, uh, you know, the, the, that the, the wolf and its monks, would see them as being trapped, but in reality, it was an ambush uh, for the the wolf. It seemed very complex and very, very contingent on a whole lot of, you know, luck that it would mm-hmm. that things would, that the events would eventually unfold in just such a way that they uh, that this would happen. And how would they know? Like, how did how how would you know, the elder McLeish and, and Prince Albert know that this sort of thing, it just, 
I, I don't know. I felt like that was sort of the weakest part of the story was this whole uh, uh, like, oh, you know, it's a trap inside a trap and it was designed this way. Um, yeah. It, not not great. Too, too, too clever by half. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so they get into this room where there's a, a, a giant telescope that the doctor had first uh, declared to be rubbish uh, <laughs> uh, in, in his uh, uh, blunt way. Um, but then he realizes that it's not really a telescope, but it's a weapon to be used against the werewolf in conjunction with, uh, what was the name of that diamond again? The, the, the Koinor. The Koinor that Prince Albert had been obsessively having carved and, uh, you know, shaped and shaped and shaped to this particular moment where it's just perfect. Um, but as they're in there, so Robert now sacrifices himself to the, to the werewolf, uh, to uh to 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 help the give the queen and the doctor time to get away um and then the wolf breaks through the door and the queen holds up in front of the the wolf i mean it looks like a crucifix but it kind of looks like a rosary did mm-hmm. did either of you catch that that looked like a rosary to me it kind of yeah it kind of did i wasn't quite sure if it was just like a like a crucifix pendant <clears throat> or if it actually was a a rosary now, one would, of course, one would not expect a rosary from the head of the Church of England, but there are some Church of England folks who do say the rosary. And, and you, know, it's, you had yeah, the Oxford always, movement in the 19th century. There's yeah. always kind of been a back and forth with the rosary in, in Anglicanism. So, I mean, it, it's very possible she was wearing an actual rosary. Interesting. Um, yeah, I've, I've heard that, 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 that and even today that there's a rise in the uh, the use of the rosary. You know, High Church England still ma- maintained and maintains a lot of Catholic elements uh, to it, and, and that would probably perhaps be one of them. Um, but it's also interesting that, as we had talked about before, that this is an element of, of Christianity and Catholicism that the creators of this show, the writers and, you know, and the director, would have included uh, in this as a... Because it's this this image we have of when you're attacked by a vampire or a werewolf or any of these, you know, uh, mythical creatures, that it's the cross that mm-hmm. that holds them back. And, I, you know, it's that's a very Christian and, you know, Catholic, especially idea of the power of the cross to uh, to deter evil uh, in this sense. And so the queen you know stands against it. Um, and then they uh, they use this this uh, weapon uh, that with that focuses it focuses moonlight on the werewolf uh, and uh, it sort of elevates him in the air in this cruciform shape. He, he kind yeah. of forms the sign of a cross uh, as it uh, basically dissolves it, kills it. By the way, do, the the light is significant. Do they? I forget. Do they mention or do they, do they explain the name of what? of the diamond in this episode. They don't explain why the, the name of like the, if there's a particular okay. n- reason for the name of Koi Noor. Yeah. So Noor is the word for light in a bunch of languages um, in, in, in the East and Koi Noor is Persian for mountain of light because the diamond is so big and reflects light. Now, they, it's actually shaped a little differently than what they show us in the TV show, but it is one of the world's largest cut diamonds. And it is kind of, in terms of diamond scale, it's a mountain of light. 
And so it would be a natural light focusing thing. And it's got a connection to the real world name of it, which is and it also is part of the British crown jewels. So they're mm-hmm. tying into that element of real life history as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's a it's sort of more flatter. It's not uh, it's not peaked like yeah, that. Yeah, not the... not peaked, but they give us the stereotypical diamond shape to make it more recognizable. Right, right. Um, so they defeat the the uh, werewolf, and then afterward we get this great uh, we get this great scene where the um, the queen is knighting uh, the doctor in Rose. Uh, he is Sir Doctor Very of Tardis. Progr- very progressive of her tonight, Rose. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> declare her dame. Do, do, is that dame. a thing? Do they do they do that ceremony for ladies as well? Do you know? I don't. I don't know if they did in the eighteen hundreds. Yeah. Well, she's Dame Rose of the Powell Estate, which is a <laughs> the right. Powell Estate is a a, a council her, her flat tenement. Yeah. 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 Um, and then immediately turns around and banishes them from the empire. Um. Which is interesting uh, because, as she says, um, your world is steeped in terror and blasphemy and death. Reflect on how you came to stray from all that is good. There's a certain amount of insight in the queen into into something about the doctor in that case. It's very interesting. Um, what do you? Like, also, what, what is it she's seeing also, in him? Well, she's seeing the reaction that he's had to all of these events. That have been transpiring around them and how, you know, he's kind of a part of this world. He takes it for granted in a way that other normal people don't. And she's frightened by that. But she's also short sighted because he's the solution to everything that was happening around them. If you have someone who understands this preternatural world that well and is fundamentally on the side of good, you'd want to keep him around as a defense. Right. It's like it's like saying someone who's really good at fighting. Oh, you know, I'm banishing you from the empire because we don't need any more guards. Thank you. Which it's kind of you know, in the future, Torchwood will will eventually um, become exactly yeah, you know, a bunch exactly. of doctor people. Yeah, that's kind of the irony of that. She banishes him because he knows it, but then develops an institute that comes to know this stuff. And you the know, institute retains its its suspicion of the doctor, uh, mm-hmm. whereas right. Unit uh, sees the doctor as a friend, an ally. And that's the thing is Unit and Torchwood are, are sort of two different um, potential solutions to to a, to a, the same problem that right. take two different approaches. Um, Torchwood takes a sort of uh, uh, a moral approach, you know, the the use of of of, of these weapons uh, and 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 means uh, is okay. Yeah, whereas unit is more military, and then there are other approaches like get a supercomputer and a bunch of teenage kids together. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the uh, so what we get here after that is then the queen and Lady Isabel in their. Um, uh, in, in, in talking about the the estate and what will you do now that Lady Isabel's a, a widow, and she and you know Lady Isabel's like, I ain't coming back here. I'm I'm going to get rid of it. I'm and done. the yeah. and the Queen said, you know says oh maybe I'll t- I'll buy it from you and create the Torchwood Institute uh, to research fighting and fight these enemies. Um, and then we what we get is a spinoff show. And I find it interesting 
and maybe that's one of the reasons why Torchwood as a show wasn't as successful uh, is because Torchwood, the Torchwood Institute itself is founded on a suspicion of the doctor and this, you know, use whatever means possible to, to, to accomplish our ends. And it kind of created that sort of dark entity that it, that it was. Right. I, I'll well, be honest. And- I didn't watch much of Torchwood, the, sh- the show. So I, it's, yeah, I've, I have to say I've seen almost none of it. Yeah, you know, I've, I've watched a couple episodes as well, and it's just I think it was Torchwood was meant to be almost a, a darker Doctor Who. The series yeah. Torchwood yeah. was meant to be a darker <clears throat> Doctor Who. They, it was meant to essentially be Doctor Who for adults, but it it wasn't nearly as successful. And I think in part because they were going into areas that a lot of people would just find distasteful. Yeah. Yeah, that the first episode I I watched and yeah, it was not to my taste. Um <laughs> now the interesting thing is is Torchwood as as a lot of people know, Torchwood is an anagram for Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was uh, and, and and during the early part of the revival before they had come back on the air, they actually used Torchwood as a code name for the series Doctor Who to keep people from twigging too quickly to the fact that that's what they were working on. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, is there anything else to be said about this episode? Any, any? I mean, I liked it. It was a good episode. Um, mm-hmm. I don't particularly special. like horror episodes, but I, this one was a good one. The special effects were pretty good. Yeah, yeah. in fact, they had to bring on a special, like an uh, an extra special effects house to do the werewolf. Um, yeah. The the back in 2006, the the hair effects, the fur of the werewolf, that was still relatively brand new. In order to get it right, they had to bring in some experts to do that. So there's a there's an additional credit for uh, mm-hmm. special official effects in this one. Um, werewolf th- hair by <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> I think they were up for for some award for that too. Uh, that that it, they had, you know that because it was so um, so good, uh, so well done. There was a. Uh, a sort of a semi blooper reel that was going around. Uh, it must have come off a DVD or something. There was like supposed to be a blooper reel for this season, uh, although it was sort of in universe blooper reel in the, in the sense of you know oh the uh, the werewolf as the werewolf as the CGI character mm. uh, like flubbing a line or a cue or something like that as an kind of kind of like Pixar does where they did the they'd always do the little. Uh, trailer or the little bloopers at the end. Right, right, right. So there's, yeah, there's one with, with, with the werewolf uh, messing up its, uh, its cues uh, entering a room or something. <laughs> it was, it was uh, humorous. By the way, we, one thing we haven't commented on is the name of this episode, Tooth and Claw. Obviously oh, yeah. werewolves have, have tooths and they have claws and that's part of why we have the title here, but Tooth and Claw is actually a literary allusion to a poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson, which deals, the poem is uh, In Memoriam A-H-H, if I have that correctly. And um, and the line, and, and what the line in context is about is the cruelty of nature, that hmm. nature is red in tooth and claw. Um, the, the, uh, it, the canto in the poem goes like, who trusted God was love indeed, and love creation's final law, though nature read in tooth and claw, <laughs> with ravine shrieked against his creed. 
So the idea is even if you don't want to be too naive about nature and how loving and harmonious it is, it's actually red in tooth and claw. <laughs> right. It's actually an interesting, it was sort of a repudiation of the naturalist romantic movement right. of the 19th century that sort of yeah. saw nature as perfect uh, and humanity as a, as a warping corruption. of that. Yeah, corruption of that. Um, and Tennyson's is, no, no, <laughs> nature is savage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's good. FYI. Yes. Th- those yes. of us who live out in the more rural areas, we see people with that mindset today of, oh, wolves are wonderful. We need to reintroduce <laughs> them. Why yeah. have all the elk disappeared? <laughs> oh, bears are, are, you know, uh, people go to Yellowstone Park and they want to go hug a bison. Yeah, that turns <laughs> yeah. out well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the poor little uh, mountain lion. Let's put him in the back yeah. of the car. That's a bad idea. Exactly. You know, wolves are, can, wolves can be great when you work with them for 10,000 years and they become dogs. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You want to help a wolf uh, adopt a dog. <laughs> so, uh, okay. Well, uh, uh, I don't know if there's any other. I had a few other little notes. One about the uh, at the beginning of the episode when the doctor was talking about going in 1979. He called it a hell of a year, uh, incited the invasion of Vietnam by China, the Muppet movie, and Margaret Thatcher uh, as a. Uh, and there's kind mm-hmm. of a you know a spit after Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> yeah, like <"Ew." laughs> yeah, a little politics showing there. Um, yep. And then the doctor mentions that he had a uh, a part in Skylab uh, falling from space uh, back in the early '80s and almost lost a thumb in doing so. He said, um, yeah, and he likes his thumb. <laughs> the, the Skylab reference was neat. Um, my dad worked on the Skylab project. Oh, and oh, cool. so that was that was neat for me. Um, but also, it's kind of interesting that he had, we have as we were prepping this episode. I mean, this weekend a Chinese space station was falling out of the sky the same way Skylab. Did, yep. so. Exactly. Yeah. Tiangong one, uh, which means heavenly palace. It broke up over the Pacific. So no, yep. no danger there. Um, okay. So that's it from us, uh, I guess. So uh, what did you think of the 10th doctor episode tooth and claw? Let us know by visiting sqpn.com and leaving a comment or, uh, going to the secrets of doctor who Facebook page, leave some feedback there. Or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. You can find links to all our personal social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the third Doctor episode. Uh, it's the, the, the third Doctor's first post-regeneration episode, and it's called Spearhead from Space. By the way, in the meantime... Check out our our newest podcast from SQPN, StarQuest Headlines. It's a two-minute update of the latest headlines that we would think will be of interest to our audience. Uh, You can find it at sqpn.com slash headlines. It's only two minutes long every weekday. Uh, Hope you enjoy it. Try it out. Until next time, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Always glad to be here. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember... Books are the best weapons in the world, and a library is the greatest arsenal we could have. Until it gets infected by the Vashtan Arata. When will I see you again? Uh, Soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.